Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. Thank you so much for listening. I have two great guests. Uh, last week, I spoke to Top Rank Boxing and NHL announcer Mark Chinook. We had a fun conversation. We're talking about life in the bubble, the uh, MGM Grand in Vegas, where Top Rank Boxing and ESPN have been uh, holding their fights. It's been a uh, Herculean effort by Brad Jacobs, ESPN, Top Rank, everyone to put that together. Um, there's a lot of safety precautions, and uh, we're going to talk to Mark about what it's like to be the uh, official ring announcer there. He's got big shoes to fill. And you'll be interested to know that Mark actually hadn't done ring announcing before. He's done a lot of in-arena stuff. Um, He's worked with Top Rank Boxing, with the NHL. Um, But this is the first time he had to ring announce. And to add an extra layer to that, the ring announcer is not even in the ring. That's very different. We're we're seeing him uh, outside of the ring. That's obviously because of the uh, safety precautions that are going on. So I talked to Mark about that and also about his journey. You'd be interested to know he started as a hockey player. Then he moved to New York uh, to be an actor. He had to uh, take a couple side jobs to make ends meet. Um, And he even auditioned for Channing Tatum for Magic Mike Live in Las Vegas. And he's going to tell us about that story. Uh, That was was a fun one. Um, Auditioning for Channing Tatum and having to uh, essentially play the part of Magic Mike. (laughs) So you don't want to miss that. And after that, you will hear my interview from last week with Mikel Lapierre. Now, you may not have heard uh, his name before in boxing. He's been uh, in the game for a while. He's 35 years old. Um, but he had some very interesting circumstances. He was supposed to fight Jose Pedraza. And I spoke to him uh, the night before his fight, uh, his scheduled fight with Jose Pedraza. And Mikel's journey uh, is really something um, very interesting. He was in New York City. He works at a at the hospital. And they told him that, hey, we need your help on the COVID front line. So he had to drop everything he was doing, go help people on the front lines. He tried his best to avoid contact, to not get the virus. He has a baby daughter at home and he didn't want uh, to bring anything home. He was able to stay safe. He made it out to Las Vegas. The night before his fight, his manager uh, unfortunately tested positive for COVID. That fight was scrapped. It is looking like that will hopefully be rescheduled uh, for July 2nd. I spoke to uh, uh, Mikel's manager, Jose. He said that he took another test. He's negative. He's not feeling any symptoms. So in his mind, it sounds like he feels like it was a false positive, but you, it's better to be safe than sorry in these situations. We should definitely uh, go on the side of safety. So I think it was the right move to scrap that fight and hopefully it can be rescheduled soon. So we got two good guests coming up. First up is my conversation with Mark Chinook. I am Karabatia and let's ask the experts. I am Karabatia talking to Mark Chinook. You've seen him as the top-ranked ring announcer in the bubble, plus many other things. We're going to talk to Mark about what he does. But, Mark, first of all, you're in the bubble at the MGM Grand. We know that Top Rank and ESPN are putting on fights every Tuesday and Thursday and sometimes even Saturday. Um, What's it like in the bubble? (laughs) Uh, It's a a pretty cool experience, I'm not going to lie. Tip of the cap to ESPN and Top Rank for being able to pull this off. Um, I feel safe here, which is, you know, most important. Everybody around me uh, is tested twice a week. We, we check into the MGM. We've got a dedicated floor. The conference center has been turned into 
uh, modern day American gladiator set. The guys at ESPN have built an incredible set. It looks fantastic on TV and uh, we're rolling with it. You know, I'm learning as I go. It's uh, week two now and it's been incredible. I'm not going to lie. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun and uh, I'm just glad we're back at it. And when I put up on Twitter that I was interviewing you, I asked people for questions. The biggest question was, people are fascinated by this bubble, so, so yeah. bear with me here. What's the, what's the best part of it? What's the worst part of it? Just t- tell me more about, about this situation. Uh, I think the best part is that, you know, everybody is here for the same purpose. You know, we're all here to bring boxing back and, and put on the best possible show. And I think the product that, that ESPN is cranking out is fantastic. You know, I go back and watch it, and I think it looks and it's incredible. The fighters are happy to be here. So I think that's the best part is that there's this real family feeling, this organic feeling of coming together and, and putting on a, on a great show. Uh, the worst part is I'm away from my family. You know, I'm in a bubble here. That's, you know, I think that goes without saying. Um, but we got to go back to work. You know, it's been a long time coming. And uh, so for me, the worst part is just being away from family. But I'm, you know, I'm here now with my extended family at ESPN and Top Rank. And well, I think it's, it's great. Yeah, you guys are doing, uh, for us watching at home, it's, it's, you guys are sacrificing that time with your family. I know that you live in Las Vegas now. Uh, I've talked to other production people who can't leave to go see their families for about eight weeks. And, um, you know, we as fans and viewers of the sport, we appreciate what you guys are doing and, and keeping everyone safe. So when they first told you that you were going to be the ring announcer, uh, I know that you've done a lot of in arena stuff, um, and you've done a lot of announcing at weigh-ins, but have you done ring announcing in, in the similar way to like a Michael Buffer or someone like that before? No, never. This is my first stab at it. So I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I've got huge shoes to fill. Uh, Lupe Contreras, who's our, our guy, he's incredible. And, um, you know, it, it's just a different world we're living in right now and it's limited staff. You know, even the Cutmen, we have uh, Mike Basil and Stitch Duran with us full time. So we're assigning Cutmen to corners. So that way uh, camps aren't bringing in too many people in their corner. And so we have, you know, Cutmen assigned to each corner as we go through this. So, you know, the same thing applied here. You know, they're like, hey, Mark, we're going to have to have you do double duty, host our weigh-ins, and then, you know, be our ring announcer. And so, you know, I'm learning as I go. I'm getting a little hate on social, which is fine. As expected, I'm, I'm, new, to the, I'm new to this ring announcer world. But, you know, I'm not new to sports. I'm not new to performing. And it's just sort of, for me, it's, a, it's another learning curve. And the biggest thing is just making sure you announce these, these decisions properly. That's, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest learning curve. I, you know, I'll get there eventually with the, the cadence and the delivery of, of introducing these guys. But you know, thrown in, uh, thrown into it cold like this, learning all of these possible outcomes. And then literally in my first week, we were given, you know, a disqualification. There was a, a majority draw, I think, and things that you don't see normally uh, happen on the regular. So I'm learning as I go. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And hopefully I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing it justice. No, things are definitely different for fighters. Uh, they used to have their own cutmen, like you said. Uh, now there's two cutmen. I think they're adding a third, but still, things things are different. And even for us as viewers, the ring announcer usually in the center of the ring. Um, you're outside of the ring. So when you when they first told you that not only are you going to be ring announcing, which is new for you, um, but you're also going to do it from a different location. What what was going through your head when you first heard that? You know, I at first I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, 
it makes sense that I'm, I'm not in the ring. You know, the, the fewer people around the fighters and, and their camps, the better. Uh, it, the, like I said, the set and the, the layout in that room is, is unbelievable. And I'm on a platform maybe 30, 40 feet from the, uh, the ring. I'm, you know, I'm obviously watching the guys walk in and I've got an in-ear monitor. So I'm being cued by uh, the guys in the truck. Uh, it, it's, it's working, you know, it works. And uh, it's only going to get better from here. I think it's, it's the right call to not have me in the ring right now. You know, I think eventually we'll get back to that point, but there's just no point in taking that risk and, and, you know, risking myself or the fighters uh, contracting COVID or, or anything else for that matter. So. No credit to uh, top rank, Brad Jacobs, uh, ESPN, everyone for it's been well-documented how safe everything is there. And uh, we can see everything on TV. Everything's getting wiped down. Um, it looks like a really safe environment. So uh, credit to yourself and everyone else there. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your journey and, and how you got here. Uh, and you mentioned pronunciations and on Thursday night, I, I just saw you at the weigh in announcing uh, one of the main event fighters um, for Thursday night. And I know that you're, you were a Canadian hockey player. So that probably helped your pronunciation of, I, I'm going to try it, but I want to hear you say it. Mikel LaPierre, right? Can, can you say that for me? Well, there's a couple different pronunciations, right? And so internally we try to stay consistent across the board. So I try to, to pronounce it, pronounce the names as the guys will during broadcast on ESPN. Uh, if I was living in Canada right now, that guy's name would be Le Pierre, and it would be completely French. Uh, but, you know, we're just, we're trying to keep consistent. And, you know, I take my guidance from the guys above me up top. And, you know, we get a pronunciation sheet and we go from there. But, yeah, I grew up in a small town in Canada. Uh, and I played hockey as a kid. I played uh, up until I was 19 years old in the Canadian Hockey League. And uh, sports is a big part of our family. Uh, hockey, you know, primarily uh, being from northern Ontario. So it's... Uh, it's a trip to be here working for top rank in ESPN. <laughs> and so you, you were playing hockey at a high level, the Canadian Hockey League. Um, what happened next? What was the next step in your journey after hockey? Because I'm sure between, you know, announcing fights in a bubble and the Canadian Hockey League, there was a lot in between. So what happened next? Yeah, my journey is a little, a little crazy. I, um, I finished school and I ended up moving to New York City. Uh, I studied theater and I became a Broadway performer. I'm an actor. Uh, and spent 10 years in New York City, uh, shows like The Lion King, uh, Rock of Ages. I got very good at subletting my New York City apartment to go and do regional theater throughout the country. Uh, and that's my background. You know, really after my hockey days ended, I, I turned to theater and, and acting. And I spent 10 years in New York, eight years in LA. And believe it or not, Rock of Ages, the musical Rock of Ages brought me to Las Vegas. Uh, I came out here in uh, the fall of 2012. And we opened the show at the Venetian. So I was the lead in Rock of Ages at the Venetian for three years. And my, my sort of transition back into sports came when Mr. Foley, Bill Foley, announced that he wanted to bring a professional hockey team to Las Vegas. Uh, with my hockey background, obviously, I got excited about that. And I just literally cold called the only employee that he had at the time. Uh, that guy's name was Todd Pollock. And he was in charge of putting together a season ticket campaign for uh, an organization called Vegas Wants Hockey. It wasn't even the Vegas Golden Knights at that time. It was Vegas Wants Hockey. And uh, I called Todd and I said, hey, I want to help out. And so I became a part of this committee whose job was solely to convince people in Las Vegas to give a, a season ticket deposit for, uh, for a hockey team, to convince the NHL that we could, would have a fan base. So that was sort of my introduction to the Vegas Golden Knights. 
when they eventually hired their top brass and all of their executives, their entertainment department, uh, they got wind of my entertainment background. Todd, by that point, had become a fan of Rock of Ages. He kept coming to see my show. And Johnny Greco was hired as their entertainment director. And we met, and he hired me as one of their in-arena hosts. And the rest is history. Top Rank came to a, a hockey game and said, hey, we need to get that guy to come and do some in-arena stuff for Top Rank. Not long after, Top Rank and ESPN decided I should be hosting their weigh-ins. So I, I you know, started hosting weigh-ins. And it sort of brings us to where we are today. You know, it's the summer series, and I'm getting my shot at, at some ring announcing. And I take everything with a grain of salt, and, and I just roll with it. I have an incredible wife who supports everything that I do. And, you know, when you work in sports, you hear everybody say it. It's, it's really not work. It's, uh, it's just fun. You know, I'm, I'm a dude from Canada who grew up loving the game of hockey and have been thrown into this boxing world. And I'm so passionate for these guys. That's what makes this sport so exciting to me is just learning about these guys who, who go through so much to get to where they are. And then they're in that ring and it's just them. And, it's, it's just, it's an unbelievable experience for me. And uh, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful to, to say I work for Top Rank and, and ESPN. And uh, I've lived in New York City for about 15 years. Subletting your apartment for a long period of time is not very easy. There's a lot of restrictions. Uh, so credit, I think that's the most impressive part of your journey there. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, the DL. yeah, yeah, let's not, hopefully uh, your former landlords aren't listening. So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because you, when you say it all like that, like everything that happened, um, you know, it sounds great, but I'm sure that it wasn't always super easy. And I know that you've said there's been ups and downs. Uh, you had times where you had to wait tables, bartend, do other things just to make ends meet. Um, but it sounds like you had a consistent hustle uh, about you. You were, you were ready to take on opportunities like moving to Vegas, things like that. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, how important it is to, uh, to have that hustle and what that was like for you. You know, I think, you know, the entertainment community is not that different from the sports community. I get asked that a lot, you know, growing up when I, you know, was on, you know, semi-pro hockey teams, that com camaraderie, that family feeling that was in sports that, you know, was very similar to a cast of a Broadway show. You know, there's a, there's a parallel there that, that isn't that different. You know, the, what the product we're putting on is different, but that family feeling uh, that you get with a team or a cast, they're, they're almost identical. Um, you know, and I'm learning the same now in, as a host in sports, the hustle is there just as much as it is for an actor or a dancer or a singer, you know, there's, there's, you're always looking for that next gig. You're looking for that next spot. Um, you know, I just, I think it just sort of comes from, you know, my family. I'm the youngest of five of great parents who are now in their eighties. And we, we always just supported each other no matter what we wanted to do. And, you know, I felt the love from all of my brothers and sisters and my parents when I decided that, hey, you know, hockey's no longer in the cards. I'm going to venture off to New York and, and try this theater thing. And the support was there. And I think that's a, a huge, huge reason for why I'm still in the business. You know, I still, even though I'm working primarily full time in sports now, I, you know, I still have an agent and a manager in Los Angeles. I auditioned for film and television and theater when the parts are right for me. I think as you get older, that's the biggest thing you realize as a, as an actor entertainer that you don't need to audition for everything because you're not right for everything. But when you're younger, you think I can do that. I can do this. Now it's just, Hey, let's, let's have the best possible life. We can, you know, take care of those around us and, and enjoy the ride. And this ride's been awesome. Like you said, and, and, you know, just being able to chat with you, it's, it's such a unique thing. And, you know, you love this sport that I'm privileged to work in. And, uh, you know, I don't take that for granted. 
And uh, I think there's one big thing we left out in your journey. And I read this on your bio on your website. Uh, it said you were the MC in the sexy smash hit Magic Mike Live. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so it seems like you've hit the peak and it's probably only downhill from there, right? After oh, yeah. That. <laughs> that was it, man. You know, when you get, so this is a crazy story. So Rock of Ages in Vegas had just closed and Channing Tatum, the Channing Tatum, you know, this is his project. He wrote Magic Mike Live, the movie. It was his idea to do a, a live production of it here in Las Vegas. And there was this sort of role that was sort of a voiceover. It was created originally as this voice that would say, ladies, are you ready for Magic Mike Live? And it was, you know, this voiceover and it was to get the crowd pumped up. And there's a female MC in the show. The, the lead of the show is actually a woman and she takes everybody in the room on this journey while these Adonis men come out and dance. But people don't realize that she's sitting as an audience member, she's a plant. And this voiceover originally was supposed to get this woman revealed that she's now going to take everybody on the journey. But obviously as a voiceover, it didn't work. So I got this call from uh, producers of Rock of Ages saying, hey, we know you're still in Vegas doing the, the Golden Knights thing. Uh, they're looking for this funny, goofy guy to sort of get the crowd pumped up. And we know you're pumping crowds at hockey games. Would you be interested in, in pumping up 500 women at a male review show? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went over and met with Channing Tatum. Uh, true story. He said, hey, come, come on over and meet me in the office. So I, I walk into the back with Channing Tatum. And he's like, well, pretend I'm a woman. You know, give me a lap dance. What would you say? What would you do to get me pumped up? What happened in that meeting is uh, confidential, unfortunately, <laughs> but I did end up sitting on Channing's lap at one point, and you know, at, from that point on, the rest is history. He's like, all right, you got the job, and I basically went out on stage for about 10 minutes every night, pumped up all these crazy women, and uh, got the show started and handed it off to uh, a female uh, MC. It's a, her name was Lindsay Haley. She's a, an amazing actor from LA, and she took these women on a journey, but I was there for 10 minutes every night. Uh, pumping up, pumping up some excited women. You know, there's a lot of ways uh, I thought this interview would go, and I did not think you sitting on Channing Tatum's lap would be part of our discussion. But as we said, that's a testament to to your hustle. Um, something I like to always ask successful people is, uh, do you have any habits, anything you do, any rituals um, to help you along your day? I know obviously a lot of your work is your voice. I don't know if you do voice exercises, um, anything like meditation, uh, workouts, what, what's like your routine? Uh, you know, what's funny is that I find that a lot of the things that I used to do when I was in Broadway musicals, I'm still doing now in the host world. So I do definitely go through a, a vocal warm up in my room before I go down to the arena or uh, wherever we happen to be. Um, but I like to prepare over the top in terms of uh, information. One of the things being obviously new to the sport, I've only been in boxing two years now. I try to go over the top with, with information just in case something comes up where I have to you know, fill in or know something about this guy, where he's from, who his parents are, you know, things like that. So, you know, I, you know, I carry cards with me all over the place and uh, constantly just taking notes and, and watching really. And I'm fortunate that I'm, you know, I get to watch Bernardo Asuna, you know, he's probably one of the best in the business at giving a, a ringside interview. Uh, just the fact that he can go from English to Spanish in like a split second is just it astounds me to have that kind of you know ability but the, you know and then the guys at the top you know Joe Tess and 
Mark Kriegel and, and Andre Ward, like these guys are so knowledgeable. And so I, I'm just a fly on the wall half the time, you know, listening and learning from them. And like I said, I just, I'm a note taker and I, I just try to prepare as much as I possibly can before, before the cameras turn on. So vocal warm up and make sure you got, you know, 10 things on each guy before you, you hit the floor. That, that's really good advice. And I know outside of what you do uh, professionally, you're also an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, right? You're owning uh, a place called The Space, I believe, in Las Vegas. And then also uh, Monday's Dark, which I believe has a charitable uh, component. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about the other stuff that, that you're doing as well? Yeah, The Space is a venue here in Las Vegas. It's, a, it's about a 9,000 square foot warehouse that we converted uh, and turned into a community center. And it's home to Monday's Dark, which is a, a program that my wife and I started not long after we moved to Vegas. Monday's Dark, obviously, the name comes from the fact that the Broadway schedule is traditionally dark on Monday. So when, when I was full-time performing, we were off on Monday night. We'd perform Tuesday through Sunday. And so what I would do on these Monday nights that I had off is I would gather headliners or performers from the strip. We would host a, a variety show. I'd get up on stage, tell some jokes, host a variety show with a full band, and all of the money would go to a different local charity. And so we've, we, we charge 20 bucks and our goal every time we do one of these events is to raise uh, $10,000 in 90 minutes. And we've done that over a hundred times. Uh, Monday's Dark's about seven years old now. And every other Monday we partner with a different local charity and we raise $10,000 for them. And so Monday's Dark has become a pretty cool name in, in the philanthropy community here in Las Vegas. A lot of the charities know about us now because everybody wants, you know, 10,000 bucks. What charity doesn't want 10 grand? So it's just a way for me to give back through what I do, which is, you know, entertaining. And um, it seems to have taken off. And you know, I'm just grateful for the hustle from my wife and, and the entertainment community here in Las Vegas who's embraced it. So yeah, Monday's Dark is sort of my, my passion project on the side that gives back to my community here. That's great that you're you're raising money, and then also just for yourself because you're not um, just doing the announcing work. You're doing you're pursuing other things on the side, staying hungry. Um, so so overall, with your career, you've obviously had uh, success, like we've talked about, in a bunch of different things. What is next for you? What do you hope to accomplish? Um, what's what's the plan for you going forward? You know, it's it's hard to say. I'm working on a couple projects personally. I'm getting back in the recording studio for the first time in a long time, so I'm going to be recording some music. Um, you know, it's, it it's always evolving. You know, and I'm so new to the world of sports that, you know, there's there's been some shows presented my way, and you know, it's I just take it like I said, everything with a grain of salt, and I, I really can't plan that far out just because things change so quickly in the entertainment business. You know, and you just got to be willing to roll with it half the time, and if it's a right fit, you take it, you roll with it, and you hope it's successful. If it's not, and it fails, well, you say, oh, well, let's chalk that one up and you move on to the next. You never really know. Um, but like I said, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a great spot right now, and I'm just trying to learn and get better in this boxing world and, and just sort of roll, like I said, roll with it. It's, uh, I'm having a blast. No, and we could see that, that you're, that you're enjoying yourself on this journey. So just to close it out, obviously, um, everything in this world right now, it's, it's a tough time for a lot of people. Uh, would you have any kind of parting words, advice to people who maybe want to make it uh, in entertainment? In your career path, you kind of had to roll with the punches, excuse the pun, but you had to make adjustments along the way. Um, any kind of final words of encouragement or advice for people who may be listening? You know, I think if entertainment or sports is what you want to do, you just got to do it and you got to stick to it. 
it is, it's, it's probably the toughest business to crack into entertainment and sports. And you're going to hear no a lot more though, more so than yes. But you just, if, if it's, if it's in you, keep learning, keep surrounding yourself with people who uh, inspire you, you know, people who are incredible at what they do. If you surround yourself with great people and you're humble and you're willing to just be a sponge and absorb, you know, good things will happen. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I, I did, you know, when I went to New York, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I was from a small town in Canada and I, I just started immersing myself in that culture and, and taking classes and listening to lectures and going to concerts and, and just sort of surrounding myself with people that I was like, wow, I wouldn't mind doing that one day. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to book some jobs and, and have some people along the way support me. You know, it doesn't happen on your own. But the biggest thing is, if, if this is what people want to do, you just got to, you got to dive in head first and do it. And, you know, you got to take other jobs in order to make yourself available. Sometimes, like you mentioned early on, I, I never took a day job. I, I always worked at night, whether it was behind a bar or a door guy at a club in New York City or bartending, waiting tables. I did it all in order to keep my days free. So that way, when an audition came up, I could go. So, you know, there are definitely sacrifices that need to be made. But, you know, if you got an eye on the prize, just keep on it. Mark Chinook, thank you so much for, for the advice, for telling us a little bit about bringing us inside the bubble, uh, if you will. Really appreciate your time. And I look forward to uh, continuing to see you on Top Rank on ESPN on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, thank you for what you're doing, entertaining us. Uh, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, hopefully we can see each other in person eventually. We'll get there. And that was Mark Chinook telling us about his journey, about how he got to where he is now. He's doing a great job, as is everyone else, uh, with the top-ranked ESPN partnership in the bubble, um, giving us boxing every Tuesday, Thursday, even Saturdays. Um, It's been a good run of fights. We've had some good upsets. Uh, And it looks like they're going to continue that um, for the next few weeks. Next, I will be talking to Mikel Lapierre. And this was an interview we did the night before his scheduled fight with Pedraza. The fight was actually called off the next day because uh, Mikel's manager tested positive. Uh, His manager's feeling fine. He took another test that came out negative. So the fight will hopefully be rescheduled uh, for July 2nd or sometime in July. But uh, we're going to talk to Mikel about his journey, about how he even got to this point to get this fight because he was uh, helping fight COVID on the front lines. So here is my conversation with Mikel Lapierre. I am Karen Batia. I am chatting with Mikel Lapierre. He's fighting against Jose Pedraza. It's the main event on ESPN on Thursday night. So, Mikel, the first question is, you're obviously in the bubble. How are you holding up in the bubble right now? I'm good. Um, I'm not more. I'm not much of a um, uh, out. I mean, I am an outsy person, outside person, but you know, I I tend to be a homebody. You know, I like being in the comfort of my own space, relaxing. You know, not doing doing too many unnecessary things. So the bubble didn't really affect me. You know what I'm saying? Because they just give me more time to focus and relax on why I'm out here and, and nothing more. And how has that affected your training especially up uh up until the fight do you feel a little bit restricted or is everything good everything is good i think that helped in a big way because like i said it gave me more time to focus and relax on what i'm out here to do 
And of course, everyone's been talking about uh, your story, especially with COVID-19 going on. Um, you used to work the front desk at Mount Sinai, Beth Israel. They called you into the front lines. Um, so you, you had to deal with this pandemic uh, head on. What was that experience like for you? It was good. Just to correct you, it's not that I used to work at the front desk. I still do. I just was deployed because my office closed for the time being. But um, it, it didn't affect me in any way, really. I, I don't have a problem helping or playing my part. Um, I I did, you know, when I got deployed, I did, you know, ask them to not have any kind of physical contact with patients because, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a baby girl and I just didn't want to bring anything home. I wanted to make sure that my wife was, you know, felt secure about that. But the department that they sent me to, it, was just as just as good because I played my part in a, in a big way with helping put together like the COVID units and being in charge of the COVID supplies, the PPE stuff, and everything that was being ordered for these units. And thank you so much for the work that you have done helping to keep people safe, especially uh, New Yorkers. Um, I know that you said on ESPN on the interview yesterday. You approach this like you do boxing, right? Uh, no fear. So what was your mindset in terms of helping people on the front lines? I'm going to get it done regardless. You know, I'm going to prep myself properly, wear whatever I need to wear, and just go in there and do what, what, what needs to be done. You know, I, I walk through faith of God. So whatever's to happen will happen. I can't I can't live my life in fear to, you know, make sure that I can't. I can't be fearful to live my life that way, to not be able to help another individual that may need my help. You know what I'm saying? So I just look, that's how I really look at it. And knowing that you had a big fight coming up and doing this work to help people, um, mentally, how did that, how did that play a factor in terms of your preparation for the fight, knowing that you had to, this, this duty to help people? It didn't really affect me because when I'm locked in from my time at work, I focus on what I'm doing there. And then after, once I clock out, then I focus on what needs to be done after I clock out. So I didn't really have an effect on me and play a big role. I just knew that from this time to this time, this is what I'm doing. And then once I leave, I could put more emphasis and focus on what needs to be done on in my other career. And for this fight, you are representing Brooklyn. For every fight, you're representing Brooklyn. But specifically in this fight, uh, Gleason's gym where you trained out of clothes. So you had to get creative, right? What were you, what did you do instead of training at the gym? What were the other methods that you figured out? We found, um, you know, normally most fighters, they get track work in, you know, like sprints, stuff like that that's boxing related. Um, my trainer, Juan Guzman, he found a, a track, you know, where he was able to put together a program for me, which was which dealt with conditioning and boxing drills, which was no different than being in a gym. It was actually way more intense because we had a track to, you know, add those certain things like sprints and, and, and um, full full laps at, at, a, at a certain time. And then he had another uh, area by where he lived, Bronx River Park, where he was able to set up the same things that he set up in the gym. He was able to get his body shield, put it around a tree. That was my heavy bag. He was able to do his slip rope the way we do certain drills, boxing drills with the slip rope. He was able to get that done from tree to tree. And he, he's, you know, he's Dominican. So he, he didn't grow up with the, the, um, what's the word, the luxury of a, a gym. He had to do it wherever he, he was, was, wherever he was at, sometimes without any shoes on, you know? So 
he was able to put it together. It's not a hard concept to understand, you know. People think you need a gym to work out, but with boxing, you can you can train anywhere. And I really think in this case, we need to change your nickname to No Excuses because the pandemic happened. You helped people. Your gym was closed. You still found a way to train. I know that you said you represent New York. You're going to fight for New York. Is it all that more uh, important this fight this time around because of everything you've gone through to get here to this point? Yes, it is more important because now it shows people that I stand for a lot of things. You know, um, um, I stand for positivity. I stand for you know being able to help people, being able to you know not give excuses for anything and getting things done. You know, I just want people to understand that my story isn't a story to be taken lightly. You know, it's like I've come a long way. You know, sometimes within that process, I didn't even see myself in this position. But to be here just solidifies, my, you know, what my goal was in the beginning and that I do belong here. You know, there's nobody that can't tell me that I don't. And speaking of your career, you're 35 years old. You've had a lot of success in the ring. Only one loss. That was to Maurice Hooker in 2019. What did you learn from the, the loss to Maurice Hooker? That I do belong on this level. I can't compete at the elite level. Just make some minor tweaks and, in, 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 you know, in the background. And once I, I do that, then my career should, should flourish. And this fight coming up with Pedraza, um, there's going to be more eyeballs than normal because there's no other live sports going on. Um, a lot of people are going to be watching this. Um, what do you make of Pedraza as a fighter? Is is he a fighter that you respect? Of course. you. I can't sit here and I don't respect the two-time former world champion this is guy done accomplished what i'm still seeking to accomplish so i definitely give him the respect the respect that he does and he deserves as a fighter you know i just feel like in this case scenario i am the better fighter i am the bigger fighter i'm just in the position to win this fight you know and i have to take advantage of that and you are coming in as the underdog, but he more recently campaigned at 135. Now moving up, um, you're feeling like you are the bigger man in this in this situation. Um, is is that is that how you're coming into it feeling? And and also, are you coming in confident, feeling that uh, you're using the underdog mentality as a positive here? Well, I've been the underdog my whole career, even starting with the amateurs. So I think I'm past that mentality of being the underdog. I, I believe I do belong here, so I'm no longer looking at myself as the underdog. I just look at myself as a top fighter that's going to compete to the best of his ability. But um, I have a game, plan, you know, just to be to 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 use my natural abilities, my talent, show people that I am skillful. You know, it's not to go in there and be the bigger guy and be a bully. I want to show people that I'm an entertaining fighter. I want to show people that I do have a skill set, not just come forward because he's the bigger guy and pound on him. If I can do it, I'll give you pieces of it. But, you know, I want to show people what I'm really capable of. My name is not Slick Mick for a reason. You know, I want to show people that I can be slick. I want to show people that I can throw combinations and get out of there. And I'm saying I want to show people that side of me, the, 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 the side that my gym members see, you know, the, 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 the side that people that know me, that haven't seen me, they want me, the, the, that side that they want me to show other people that don't know me. And so I'm sure we're going to see uh, you boxing in there moving uh, on Thursday night versus Pedraza. This is the first time you're going to be fighting without fans. Um, and I know we talked a little bit about the bubble, but I've read that you said you actually think that's better. You can be even more dialed in and focused. Is that is that how you feel? 
Yeah, that's how I'm looking at it. You know, that's the that's the good and the bad. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at the positive and the negative. So once I take that mentality in it, I should be all right. And um, what after this fight, um, what's what's going to happen next for you? Are you going to go back to New York? Uh, are you going to still be working uh, on the front lines? Are you going to uh, be back at the position uh, at your current position um, at Beth Israel? What's what's next for you after this? I after this fight, I'm gonna be back at work on Monday. And and thank you again for the the services that you're doing and helping so many people. Um, just to kind of close it out, uh, just uh, two more questions. Uh, you're 35 years old, like we said, only one loss. What are your your goals? Um, world championship status, I'm sure, is is in the is in the cards for you. Is something you want? What what do you hope to achieve in boxing before you hang up the gloves? Once I win this fight, I'll be back in title contention. And once I'm back in title contention, you know, go for another run at a world a world championship. But this time with a better a better game plan to achieve that, you know. I wanna I wanna fight for another world world title opportunity before I leave this sport. Just to say that, you know, I was able to get there the first time and then I wasn't successful, but I made whatever adjustments I need to make to get that opportunity again and to see what the results of that adjustment will bring. And just to just to close it out. Uh, you've been through so much in terms of the lead up of this fight, of this moment uh, for you. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of new people have started following you and your story because of everything uh, that they've read. So any final words to uh, your fans and supporters? Uh, you know, you when you didn't have a gym, you made a gym. When you had to uh, go to the front lines, you did that. Um, and, and, you've, and you've done that to make everyone else safer. What's, what would be your final word to your supporters? Just... Continue to do do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. And just continue to push for whatever you believe in. That's it. No excuses. Mikhail Lepieri, I want to thank you so much for the time. Wishing you best of luck in your uh, in your challenge with uh, Jose Pedraza on Thursday night on ESPN. Uh, best of luck. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. And that brings us to the end here. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to my guests, Mark Chinook and Mikel LaPierre. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karan Bhatia and on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's askthexpertspod at gmail.com. This is Karan Bhatia signing off for Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Curran Bhatia.